0: Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about Kickstarters, and all of the new Kickstarters that are happening, the Critical Role Kickstarter. We also answer a question from a new DM, and my Hot Springs Island party decided to split up. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday morning D&D show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host Sir Lucian over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello sir.
1: Hello, good morning. Look at all those lovely viewers and fans and new people in chat. It looks really cool. We're glad you're
0: here. Yeah, we're super stuff. excited to have you guys. Uh, it's always fun to have live people for our our silly little podcast that we do every week. Um, if yeah. you're new here, we are a Dungeons & Dragons talk show. We just kind of talk about uh, Dungeons & Dragons, our personal games, and and how to improve as a Dungeon Master with, with all the, the difficulties and problems that kind of come up with Dungeon Mastering, and I think that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but we usually start off with some D&D news and yeah. the Dungeons and Dragons news of the like last 50 years really is going to be the critical role Kickstarter <laughs> that has raised more money than God. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy um, and it's amazing for our hobby and for uh just like the D&D community at, at, to to they they've shattered a bunch of records i guess uh Mm. not a bunch they've shattered the record uh the previous record was mystery science theater 3000 raised like five million or something to do their um Mm. their next season and now this is raised i i think i checked it yesterday and it was at six something so it's probably at seven million by today who knows uh But yeah, it's really, really awesome. So uh, Mm -hmm. if you're a fan of Critical Role, they're making an animated series based on their season one characters, which uh, Jordan, who's becoming heavily invested in the season two characters, was a little sad that we weren't seeing season two character animation. But I know how many people love season one and those characters, and they still seem to pop up. Like they just did a a search for Grog kind of like mini series with their older characters. Um, Mm -hmm. So those characters are still around and still popular and people obviously love them and they love season one. So. going to be it's going to be awesome like really exciting yeah, yeah 6.7 million this morning thanks cyberwolf uh that's really cool
1: and it is amazing that it's a it's kind of the two things that make sense for critical role like not every show would probably i mean we all would love it like if there was a saturday morning cartoon that had you know characters that jordan or i played or in one of our games don't mm-hmm. get me wrong if a network came to us and said well will you do it we'd be like heck yeah but they're voice actors for the for an animation and gaming industry. Um, They're playing a a live-action role-playing game that's super popular, and you're gonna mesh together both of those into, I mean, it's just perfect. You have voice actors that do animated stuff, and you have this great, wonderful cast that's playing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. So it it just makes total sense. Um, And I think it's cool, and like you, I'm a huge fan of the second season right now characters. Um, I like the first season characters, but I feel like I've grown more attached to the second character. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, I, I think, and this is supposed to be about stuff that happened that wasn't in the show. So as you call, if you if you weren't a Critical Role fan, which I would be surprised, but most of you will know that the show started with them at like seventh level or something in that area. So there was definitely plenty of story that happened before it ever went live. There's plenty of history in there. In fact, we got some comic books that told us a little bit about the pre-history stuff. And it sounds like this animation is about the pre-show going live stuff too. So it is gonna be new information. It's not just gonna be animated stuff that we've already kind of seen in shows, though we would love that just as much too. Um, So it is gonna be some new content and it's gonna be good. And it looks like they're doing a really cool thing with lots of cool animators and the style It's going to be great. I think it'd be really fun. The the
0: comics are really good. Uh, I read them. uh, uh, My player, one of my players let me borrow. He had the comic. And so I read them like in an evening. Uh, Matt Colville was the writer, I think. Uh mm-hmm. and they're just really fun comics. Um again, if you like those characters and kinda wanna see how they all like wound up together. Um, so I do recommend the comics. It's gonna be I don't know, it's just gonna be fun. Uh it's crazy that it was like we're gonna do an animated special, and now it's really turning into a series just because of the yeah. amount of money they're raised. <laughs> and somebody was pointing out, like they were on CNBC and all these news articles about how much money they're raising and things like that. And I don't know if People have tried to kick off like a D&D style um, animated series before. And obviously Critical Role has a lot of like like uh, clout behind it. Like there's a lot of uh, people that really there, it has a huge fan base already. So mm-hmm. just to be like we're going to make a D&D show as opposed to we're going to make a Critical Role show is completely different. But there's got to be companies like Netflix and stuff that are just like, oh, this is what people want. Like, you're willing to throw money at this? Like, we'll make that. Like, why not? Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering where this is going to go. Like, if it's going to... Yeah. Because going back a little ways uh, when critical role was kind of first coming about and becoming popular it seems like like the nerdist and geek and sundry and a bunch of other people and and just streamers in general were like oh this is what people want let's make a D&D show and that's where mm-hmm. we got a lot of these DD shows that kind of came about like relics and rarities and uh, matt mercer dm'd one for the nerdist that i can't remember about giants uh, Force grade. Forced great, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of those kind of came about because Critical Role was becoming popular. Um, mm-hmm. So now that they're like, oh, we want to do an animated series based on these characters, I wonder, like, are we gonna get more animated series stuff? Are there gonna be more Kickstarters popping up? People trying to like capitalize on on the popularity of it? So I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think it's like a, a proof of concept, right? You get to realize is because if you're not sure, like even when they talk in their Q and A, they really hadn't thought out their stretch goals. Cause they didn't think they would meet, they would have time throughout the whole thing. It was going to take a month. Yeah. You know, they were going to have some time to think about it. And then it smashes through in the first, you know, hour, hour and a half. And all of a sudden they're like, oh crap, this is way more popular than we were mm. prepared for. And now let's start getting our you know ducks in a row. Even though I really think they should have known cause they know how popular their show is and they know how rabid their fans are. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody's they were pretty godsmacked, I think, with the just the amount of outpouring that they got so early on. And now it's turning into such a big project. But they're the type of people to handle it. Right. Like if we we're trying to do it, we'd be having to learn how does animation work? How do you get voice actors? How do you get a script? written, How do you get all this stuff? They're in that industry. They know yeah. all about that stuff. So this isn't like some big giant leap for them. To not do something, it's in their wheelhouse to pull off something like this. And it wouldn't surprise me if at some point, like a, a Netflix, like you said, who does do a lot of um, original animation, they brought back Voltron, they brought back some of this other stuff that's been really good and popular. Um, like Shiro is on there. And I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that have gotten some acclaim that they've actually brought them back, 80s cartoon style stuff. But even Rooster Teeth is running. Um, they're one right now called Genlock that they've just released, and it's kind of like a Robotech kind of thing right now that they're doing. So I could see like a maybe Rooster Teeth Network pulling them in to do some animation or or continue a real show that would be more than one season and happen, you know, over, over several years, which cause that's what we want, right? We want uh, a season of cartoons that goes five, six, seven episodes or seasons, and maybe there's thirteen to twenty episodes per season then we truly get what we want as fans. That's the kind of stuff that we could really dig into and and cherish, I think. So I think it's cool. And it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of Kickstarters out there that do really well. And this one, just another one of those where people are allowed to put the money into what they like, what they Mm -hmm. are a fan of, what they want to support. And that's what we like to do. We like to put our money right to the actual thing, not some nebulous thing, not just some subscription thing. We don't know where that money goes. It's like, it goes to this thing. You, yeah. you spent your $100 and it goes to what they. And
0: need. you so know kind of cool. who has creative control. You know, like Kickstarter isn't producing it. And they're saying, by the way, we need like, I don't know, some kind of like funny talking mushroom or something. And they're like, what? Yeah. And that's what kids want, mushrooms these days. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and... That's Mike and yeah, Mike and that's and that's <laughs> uh, that's huge for me as somebody who's backing something on, on Kickstarter is I know that like the people that are trying to make it have 100% creative control because I'm contributing to it and so yeah. uh, Kickstarter is great like we've gotten so many cool new board games and RPG mm. supplements and even like movies and TV series and stuff out of Kickstarter. It's just kind of, it's really changed the industry I feel. Um, And you see a lot of companies doing Kickstarters as well, like, because it's just easier for me to be like, do you guys want to buy this? And then they're like, yes, Mm -hmm. we do. Okay, cool. Now I have a new product to sell. Also I've already pre-sold a bunch of these products and things like that. So
1: yeah. Yeah. And it's not even Kickstarter is almost being changed the way they use it too, because I I really feel like Kickstarter was a couple of normally it's about somebody who's maybe for the most part, I won't say this is for everything, but for the most part might be a nobody coming out of nowhere has a great idea has some concept behind it's done the research put it in is pitching to the overall community saying hey i'm thinking i want to do this do you want to support that and then that happens and then sometimes you have a celebrity who's going to do a kickstarter and that fan base helps push whatever they're doing but also you're starting to see now companies like monty cook doesn't just they have a real company it's a real brick and mortar kind of thing they don't just put books out based on you know their sales of their last book and they budget it correctly, and then they put the money down so that they can build their next book like Wizards of the Coast does. Mm-hmm. They kickstart everything, even though they're a, an actual RPG company. They're like, if we're going to do it, we're going to kickstart it, see if they want it first. If they do, all right, Invisible Sun, here you go. Yeah. Hey, do you want a new Numenera edition? Here you go. Do you want us to do a DD 5e supplement? Here you go. <laughs> yeah, it's all going to be kickstarted stuff. They've, they've kind of embraced that whole model. And I know there's some other ones out there besides Kickstarter, but it really seems like the the tabletop RPG community has latched on to Kickstarter as its means to try to get some of these ideas out there. We were talking about Lasers and Liches is out there right now. We were talking about, like, I'm doing Carbon 2185 TTRPG. You were doing the DICE um, dice
0: dungeons uh who was one of my sponsors uh for my last video i just actually really liked their kickstarter and so i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna back this so i backed them and then there's a new supplement out called uh witchcraft which is like crafting rules for dungeons and dragons 5e that looked really cool the art looks amazing in it um so i totally backed that as well and I, i don't know i've been backing a lot of stuff lately and it's another thing that a lot of times you back this stuff on kickstarter and it's really the only way to get it Mm -hmm. you know it's not like some companies like monty cook uh well actually invisible sun is a great example where they did the invisible sun kickstarter and they're just like we're not gonna like mass produce this and just have it in our warehouses afterwards like when the kickstarter's done it's done but it was so popular that they're now selling the pdfs of it and i think they're gonna do another another kickstarter run of of invisible sun because it was really popular
1: yeah, um, yeah, and that's a big cube. It's a, a little yeah. bit more expensive style yeah, TTRPG. It's
0: like $250, um, I think, but you get everything was, you need to play.
1: Actually, and in the news, it was funny. Just before the Critical Role Kickstarter dropped, there was a little hubbub going around in the, in the TTRPG community about Monty Cook had just put up their PDFs, and the PDFs were like $99. Mm-hmm. So there was, some, there was some pushback about, wow, what's going on with these really expensive PDFs? This is ridiculous. PDFs shouldn't be that much. And then there was a big part of the community coming back, creators, a lot of them saying, wait a minute, you know, they put a lot of work into this. This is writers yeah. doing stuff. There's a lot of art in this stuff. If they want to charge a higher price for a high quality product, they can. You can vote with your money. You can buy it or not buy it. That's how you decide whether something is going to be good or not. And then they the Kickstarter for uh, Critical Role drops, and then it, like the whole conversation goes quiet because they just start listing off statistics of there's you know twenty thousand people willing to pay a hundred dollars to get this thing going, or you know so it's like. The community itself has money to spend, and they're willing to spend it on qual- on things that they think are quality. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, we all want $5 PDFs, you know, I wouldn't mind $5 PDFs, but I'm willing to pay for quality, I'm willing to pay for good art and layout, I'm willing to support those designers so that they not only can do this book that they're building, but it gives them a chance to pay their bills and continue to build more books and do more stuff in the future. Yeah. So I'm like paying almost for their future. I'm helping support them continue to do what they do. So for me, it's not just about I get my product and is it the exact value of the product? It's I'm supporting them to continue on in what they're doing. Yeah. No, and it's a little it- bit selfish because I want to be a designer at some point too. So I'm hoping <laughs> that goodwill, that good karma of supporting them will come all the way back around when, when I finally make that leap. And I'm, I'm a designer myself. So.
0: yeah that uh that invisible sun specifically those pdfs i think you get like 40 or 50 pdfs with that hundred dollars as well so a lot of people were just like you know it kind of maths out to three dollars a pdf like you guys are overreacting but uh that was eye-opening for me because i didn't realize how how little money you make when you try to do rpg stuff Like you just don't make a lot of money, especially when you start charging, you know, four or $5 for your PDF because it takes you a lot of time and everyone's like, oh, it's not a physical book. So you shouldn't charge that much. But honestly, like the physical book, like that costs some money to make, but not a ton of money. I mean, like, I don't know, like, like the PD, you should exactly what you were saying. Like you should, you Mm -hmm. should charge uh, you as a person I should pay what I feel like the the value of this is worth. And after reading a lot of those comments, I'm now seeing like, there's actually a lot of of art and a lot of time and a lot of writing and a lot of creativity that goes into these books. And Jordan is willing to drop, you know, $15 on a PDF or $20 on a PDF. Um, Yeah. I, I, the only reason I haven't dropped $100 on Invisible Sun is I'm actually really curious about their next run of it. And I'm like, I don't know. like, I can just I, want the actual. I want, want the key. actual box. Yeah. Like I want all the, all, yeah. all the toys with it and stuff. Well, but, that one's
1: an interesting one because they didn't want to do PDFs originally because they were building it as an experience. You got yeah. the box. It yeah. has stuff in it. It has certain types of handouts. It has an actual big hand thing that moves around on a board. It's got some card stuff to it. It's got some online stuff to it. It was like they really built this interesting um, whole experience around it, mm-hmm. and they wanted you to be able to get your black cube, open it up, and really present something like that. And, yeah. they, and I, I feel like when they probably originally pitched it, they thought, "Well, you're not going to get that feeling with PDFs." But the popularity of the game, yeah. and it's definitely being come coming from you know, there's a lot of Web DMs been playing it on their channel. Um, Grant has been DMing some of that mm. stuff. There's a lot of good players, a lot of Twitch streamers jumping into this invisible sun and really liking the depth and the and the craziness of it and the, the, all the really cool stuff that they've got going with it. And they've got really good writers on that staff. Monty Cook, Bruce Cordell, you know, Shauna Germain, all them. They're just really good at what they do. Um, And that's, you know, we're excited about their Kickstarter, which is their D&D 5e or their next book, the D&D 5e supplement that they're going to do, which is really cool, too. So I just think it's, you know, it's been a fun time. Kickstarters. Are like Christmas to me at this point because I back <laughs> something right now, but then it's six months down the road, or maybe a year down the road, and something just arrives in my mail and be like, "Oh, that's right, I kickstarted
0: this! Yay!" Mm. <laughs> yeah, let's open yeah it up. the the worst part is the wait. I feel because like that that uh, witchcraft book I just backed, I'm like, "I want it now! It looks so yeah. cool!" But it's gonna be you know a couple months, or if not not a couple months, probably more than that before it's it's ready to come out. But yeah, but and we're
1: waiting for Matt Covell awesome. we're both fans of that. Oh album. yeah, we have our PDFs. Yeah, but we don't have our physical book yet. We're waiting for it. And
0: I'm definitely a physical book kind of guy. Like I like to sit on my couch with my book and read it. And so, uh, although I've read through that, I want to reread it like thoroughly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that Numenera five e book is called Arcana of the Ancients. Arcana um, of the. That Ancients. should be yeah. kickstarting this month, within like maybe a week or a few days. I'm not really sure when it goes up, but uh, that's definitely one to look out for because I think that's going to be a great supplement. Like mm-hmm. uh, Monty Cook has done lots of D and D stuff in the past. He knows the systems. Like he will make yeah. a really good supplement. So yeah, he was. There I'm excited at the very for that. I guess. Yeah. Of
1: 5e development was there through all of 4e, hands in planescape and all of these other cool settings. So if you even remotely like those other settings, he wrote for a lot of that. You're gonna like this stuff. Yeah. And it was if you like to play Numenera or you like the world of Numenera. They said you could still use the 5e rules, which everybody seems to know now. And that's true because it's the most popular game. In some ways, it's an easier game to get off the ground if you get a 5e game going because you know the players that you're getting Mm -hmm. are have been exposed to it. You don't have to teach them a new thing. But you still could use the Numenera world, which is a fantastic and intriguing world to be in. I mean, it is a great setting to read. It's my favorite part of reading the Numenera book. It's the setting stuff. The rules are great. I think they're fun. They're easy to learn if you want to teach them to people. But, man, that setting is so good. It's really, really
0: good. The uh, the uh, link that I just posted is actually a really great article about this new uh, Arcana of the Ancients book. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he was even saying, Monty Cook, that he's like, you know, you could use this to play Numenera with 5th edition rule set if that's what you really want to do. But Mm -hmm. he's like, more often than not, you can use this to... Or he feels like more dungeon masters will say, you know, I've already got this world of... I'm playing in the Forgotten Realms or I'm playing in my homebrew world. And this is another supplement to add, like, sprinkle little weird cool things. So maybe there's this far-off island civilization that has ray guns or something. And so now you can Mm -hmm. incorporate that into your game if you really want to. Um, And I really like that idea because I think that's a lot that's more useful and kind of going back to guilds of Ravnica is kind of the same way. Like that book is more useful for me to, to take like, Oh, they're going to go to Waterdeep. I'm going to, I'm going to put these different guilds in Waterdeep, and I'm going to have them join a guild and I'm going to have them do stuff like that. And so I can, I can kind of just take the mechanics that I really liked from that adventure and incorporate it into the one that I'm currently playing. So, yeah. Love which it. is
1: what we all do as DMs. Yeah,
0: you steal uh, like an artist. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: so as far as other, what Wizards of the Coast put out this week, um, most of their um, videos and stuff that they did, their live streams were more on um, Saltmarsh, which we know is the next book mm-hmm. that's coming out. They talked about when the big event's going to be in LA and where it's going to be. It's going to be bigger than last year's um, a Stream of Many Eyes. So it's going to be a much bigger production of that. Um, they're going to have a bunch of books there, that people that go to that can buy three days before the actual release. We know the release is May 21st and they've condensed the release for all releases. So whether you're buying it on Amazon, whether you're buying it at the bookstore, whether you're getting it from some other online source, uh, D&D Beyond, whatever it is, they've consolidated all of it into May 21st. But for those of you that like to get your alternate covers, you still can get that at the brick and mortar stores. They will have the alternate cover variants on May 21st, you'll be able to pick yours up, if yep. that's what you wanna do. So cool. Which is cool. The other thing, um, I saw a nice Q&A about on the Artificer, because that is out and in the wild. Um, there's lots of talk going on about that right now. And a couple of things that I picked up from that that I thought was very interesting, was when Jeremy was working on this design, there was a huge amount of back and forth with him and Keith Baker. Um, and making sure that the artificer was grounded deeply into the Eberron world. But then also he wanted to make sure that it fit in the other worlds. But it was like, he definitely did a huge emphasis to make sure that it worked and fit in Eberron first, and then it could work in all the other stuff too. So I thought that was very interesting because none of the other classes have been designed that way. So that's definitely a first. Um, He's hinted at, he got crazy during designing. And the stuff they've shown us so far is not even half of what he's already designed. So it sounds to me like when he says that, that there's more subclasses that we don't know about yet. So we have the Artillerist and we have the Alchemist so far, but it sounds like he's designed several more. So we might get to see some of those coming up in the future. And then the other thing I thought they said, there's eventually going to be a pass for this. So it's definitely not coming out in the Saltmarsh book, I don't think, because they're going to do another... Uh, ua article pass where they add in the spell list of things from xanathar's guide to everything Um, they want to use some of those spells and put it into this play test material also because they the the artificer does get a modified spell list that they can use um for themselves so it's pretty cool
0: do you think they're going to bundle it with the the eberron pdf like they'll just update that pdf with the Mm. artificer in it Like That got me thinking the other day where I'm just like, if they're not going to release it in a book and it is so heavily tied to Eberron, are they trying to increase their Eberron PDF sales and say like, by the way, now if you buy this and Mm -hmm. people who have already bought it get the updated version, but like now if you buy it, $20 PDF, it's got the artificer in it.
1: Yeah, I haven't even thought about how they're going to deploy it yet. Would it be a GM's guild thing? Would it be a free on their yeah. website
0: so everybody can just get it i doubt it'll it will be free because book? they put a lot of work into it yeah and they want to see some return on it but it made me think of like is this another another way to to boost sales of that Eberron pdf content so i don't know yeah.
1: Yeah. and it makes sense because it's a big thing well and he did talk about because you've been talking about this if anybody's been watching our show that artificers can fit in Forgotten Realms for all of us that use Forgotten Realms quite a bit because we have Lantan and he even mentioned that in that video, like, hey, it's a whole city, it's a whole area, a whole island of, you know, or whatever, a whole big area of these artificers right there. So it's perfectly fits within uh, Forgotten Realms as much as it fits in with an Eberron or any other setting that you're using for Mm -hmm. your Dungeons and Dragons. So those are the big things. I think they're just getting ramping up for the Saltmarsh release. They're Um, they've talked about, um, oh, the new starter edition box. That is the, um, um, Stranger Things starter Mm. edition box is also going to be a release in May. I believe it's either the very end of April, like the very last week of April or right near when the book's coming out in May, middle of May is when that comes out. And it has a couple of minis in it. It's got pre-made characters in it. It has the adventure written by, or as if you're the GM, Mike. So it's written in Mike's notebook. So the paper looks like it's Mike's notebook from the game. Mm-hmm. And he's written out his adventure that he's going to run for his players. That's what they're presenting to you. That's what they're giving to you to play as this first um, starter box that you can give to anybody who's never played Dungeons & Dragons. It has everything you need in the starter box to play Dungeons & Dragons. Red box art, you know, it has it's, it's like the nostalgia of, you're a 13-year-old kid again, and somebody breaks out the red box and says, hey, have you ever heard of this game called Dungeons and & Dragons? And you're, as a kid, you're like, no, I've never heard of it. What is this? And you open the box, and from there, you know. I think whole... it's got
0: even, like, notes written by the the characters yeah. in the show and stuff like that on it. So
1: Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So that's also coming out. So that's the stuff they've been talking about quite a bit. Um, and it's been, I think it was, it's really fun to see a lot of the stuff that's coming out. Uh, we'll see how this adventure comes out. And then, I don't know, there's going to be more books because they we had like five or six books last year. Can't wait to see how many books we have in 2019. So that could be pretty
0: good. Yeah.
1: So I think that was about the news. Um, other than that, it was just, you know, playing some games this week and uh, doing some Dungeons
0: & Dragons. What kind of Dungeons & Dragons did you do this week?
1: Well... Actually, pretty good. Now, one thing I did want to bring up is that on one of my really fun episodes, there's a couple of the players in chat right now who played in this episode. The Crypts of Kelamvor was a Dragon Plus adventure that I saw, and I ran for several fans of the show. A couple of them are in, in chat right now. And in that video series, I put it up so you can watch us play in it. Um, I had a really fantastic question from a newer GM, um, and I thought I would ask the question so that Jordan could also kind of chime in and give some advice here I wrote in the the YouTube comment area my advice but for some reason I felt like this would be a good thing to discuss but let me read it out for you so this is from Holly Shoots I think I'm hoping I'm not butchering your name Holly and it says I'm currently running this module which is the Crypts of Kelimbor with a party of three level four characters who have band together as a family of halflings I already like where this is going already I'm at a loss as to how to help the players understand that they have a role to play as much as I, the DM, does. We have done several test modules and it seems to be very stagnant on the creativity of my players. I am somewhat new with only about a year of experience as a player and four or so months as a DM. And I'm wondering what suggestions anyone may have as to how to get the most out of my players. I have thought time and time again, that it would be refreshing to have a different, more experienced selection of players just to test if the fault lays on my soldiers, which I'm sure it doesn't. Um, as a DM, if my current party lacks any motivation to play creatively. Creativity. Creatively.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: creatively, got it. <laughs> I found they often just stand, here's where the actual crux of it is. I find they often just stand around in a room waiting for me to shove them in any direction, one way or the other. So I felt like, yeah, I've had that happen. Um, I've seen this in in a few games I've ran. It's not common for a lot of the players I play with at the moment. Mm -hmm. But it has happened um, where they just kind of wait for you to lead them without really making some decisions. So the idea is, I thought, so here's the question, Jordan. How do you, if your group is being very passive, if your group is being very like, we're just waiting for you to tell us what to do, how do you help get them to make the decisions? How do you help get them motivated and get their creative coming out, whether they're a shy type of player, they're mm-hmm. new type of players or whatever it is, what do you do? What, what's your
0: advice here for Holly? Um God, and it, like, saying that all right okay so there are some players that are just going to be passive Mm -hmm. and i don't know what else to tell you other than they're just going to be passive players um and they probably like the game a lot they probably have a lot of fun at the table but they're not the kind of person that like just like i don't know i have I have a player at one of my tables who he really likes combat and really likes to hit things. But when it comes to role playing and like looking around for stuff, unless there's a magic item involved, like he doesn't really look around for for various things or or wants to explore that desk or wants to look for clues or things like that. So um, what I've done in that situation is kind of catered the game to them a little bit for like how they want to play. Um, so. I would be careful as a dungeon master to be like, but this is the way I want to play and try to force your players to be like, you will, you will role play because I find that interesting and I like, and I want to role play more when maybe that's just not their thing. Uh, That all being said, Jordan's advice is to ask them questions about what they decide to see. So when they come into a room, don't describe the room, say, what do you see in the room and have them build up the room like, well, I don't know. Are there bookshelves? I'm like, do you want there to be bookshelves? Well, yeah, there's some bookshelves. Okay, there's bookshelves in the room. What's on these bookshelves? Uh, I don't know. Maybe books about alchemy. Okay, cool. What do you you find a bunch of books about alchemy? What do you want to do with those? And the more you kind of allow them to build up the the dungeon, they are now invested in it because they created it. And that might be a that might be a, a diving board into getting them to do what you want them to do. I guess <laughs> those, that's my, that's my bad advice. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. No. And it was very similar to mine. I wrote up in there. It was, it was kind of the same. Cause to me, I felt like you did have this two different types of groups of players. You had the player who is maybe like you said, not as engaged, but is there to be social is there to play a yeah. game. But it's going to sit back. It's not a big deal to them to to participate any much more than that, except their experience is about hanging out with friends and just hanging out, which is mm-hmm. cool. That's fine. That's a valid way to come and play a Dungeons & Dragons game. We all have those players in some of our games. It's also very evident to me that if it's a very new party who are brand new to Dungeons & Dragons, it can be overwhelming what you might want to do or have to do. And I might not know all of the things I can do. I might not know how all the actions work. I don't know, I don't even know to ask you about grappling because I didn't even know grappling existed. I don't know how the turn orders work. I'm kind of relying on you for all of the rules and I'm in this thing and you've thrown a bunch of information at me and you've read this room description but now I'm kind of lost. So I get the idea that there are players out there that are a little bit locked into, oh, I have so many choices but I don't know what to do. Right. And I think you were right. that I thought the idea of slowly introducing elements where they can create along with you Mm. helps to generate this. We're all in it together. It's not me versus you and it's not just me running something and you guys have to figure it out. We're all here to play this game and we're all here to do that. So the idea of like letting them, when you said like, if the goblins come in the room, asking the question, hey, what kind of sword or what's the sword look like that this goblin has? Little things that probably don't matter in the grand scheme of things, Mm -hmm. but allow them to express some creativity slowly and you kind of let it come out naturally. And then the more you do it, the more they'll get into it. The other thing I always like too that I think brings out creativity is when a creature dies, you ask them, how does it die? Give me what happens. You get the full scene here. How did your sword cut into them or what did they trip and fall over? And then that's how it happened. Or describe your fumble. If you roll a one, these give little points of creativity that draw them out enough that eventually I think it helps them get used to everything that's going on. And then they start to get more creative when they're in a room and they don't quite know what to do next. Or if they're sitting in the middle of a dungeon and there's five doorways and they're just kind of waiting for you to say which doorway to go, they have to pick a doorway. There has to be some language that you're giving them to pick a door. And I also thought a little trick that is really fun you can do is if, let them talk about what's going on, let them make a plan. Um, And if they're, they're just kind of getting nowhere, just roll a dice behind your screen and when they ask, what is that for? you just like, oh, no, you don't Don't worry about it. Because it starts to focus, it gets them back into focus. Wait a minute, something's about to happen. And they have to make a plan. Like now they have 10 plans, but now we're running out of time. We need to just decide I want to go. Um, and then the last thing I thought, this one is very, you want to be very cautious with this. You want to be a pretty good dungeon master. I think if you're going to deploy this trick, or it's not really a trick because that makes it sound like it's bad, but this technique, have an NPC in the party. An NPC in the party allows you a voice to help engage them. And it should be an NPC that doesn't make decisions, but asks questions for them to make decisions. So if you have somebody in their party that is like a a torch bearer or is carrying a pack for them and they're they're kind of standing in the middle of something and you're like, you can use your voice to say, "Uh, guys, should we be here? Should we stand here like this in the open? Uh, uh, What was that sound? You know, or what was that over there? And that starts to get them in the control phase and it allows you to talk to them as I bump my mic. Um, And I think it could be, now you don't want to overdo it and there's always a lot of um, uh, advice out there about being careful about having an NPC in the party that you're running. But I think it could be a tool to help you get a very tentative and a very um, passive group. Like if you have a whole group of passive players, you've got to do something. Like if it's just one player, you don't have to fix that. That's not a thing to be fixed, like Jordan was saying. But if it, if you have five players at your table and they're all passive, well, something has to happen because this game needs somebody to take the lead and make some decisions and make, you know, just see where things go, see where the dice get thrown. So that's what I said. She had commented in again after I'd thrown out a comment out there and she did the perfect thing. That's the perfect um, set of advice, even from her. Um, so we can take this as advice from Holly and Holly can help us all out. She checked in with her players. She sat them down, she talked to them and asked them, and she realized that they didn't really have a good grasp on the characters that were created. And they none of them had read through the player's handbook. None of them had even owned the player's handbook. And so she has set up several sessions where they're just going to sit down and go through the player's handbook again together as a way to get everybody more comfortable with what's possible and what's in the game. And that was the
0: perfect that is, yeah, that's the answer is best to check answer. in with your group.
1: <laughs> so Holly was able to do it on her own. She didn't need any advice from anybody. She figured it out. So that's really cool. So hopefully her group is on. And I told her I can't wait to hear how the rest of the adventure goes. Because Crips of Calumvar was a really fun adventure that was written on the Dragon Plus uh, magazine. And my crew did a great job. They had a blast playing in that. So they were really fun to, to run through that. So I thought that was really cool. And those that's another thing for all of you out there, you YouTubers and you Twitch streamers and uh all of the people that are watching this content give us those types of comments that we can interact with in the videos because we love getting out there and and giving just our opinion the way we might do something the way you know to help you and it's not about telling you how to do it it's just giving you some other options in case you didn't think of them and normally you'll probably think of them on your own so you know
0: i will say that there was uh that it it can backfire so don't think that this is just like oh well if i do this all my problems will be solved because again i have another player who i'll say things like describe your kill like you 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 know you rolled a natural 20 what does that look like and they'll come back and be like well it it looks like a natural 20 like i i rolled that (laughs) Right. Like, yeah. I don't know. Natural. What do you, What do you want from me, Jordan? I've heard Double that before D. where I stare at, I try this tactic and they turn to me and they're like, what do you want from me, Jordan? And I'm like, I just want you to be creative and have fun. <laughs> uh, now it's combative and I don't understand what's happening. So, yeah, you know, re- so read the room, which is, it sounds exactly what Holly did. She's like, let's have a conversation. Oh, you're confused about this. Well, let's, let's dive into the player's handbook and make it easier for you. So, yeah. So it can yeah, backfire. It's not a catch all. And it's okay. Yeah. It,
1: you'll never know what you're gonna get but at your table. You gotta There's try. Yeah,
0: you gotta try. So <laughs> so other
1: than that, um, we played our Thursday night game. We played Seeking Revenor, the Living Campaign, Westmarch's style experiment for solution that's gonna be running another for an, at least another year for now. Um, we had an expedition and we got a nice classic monster that I got to pull out of nowhere, which was the flail snail. Um, this was a really cool I saw it in Volo's guide it's something that was in older editions but they did a really cool write-up in Volo's guide about um, how the shell is is highly prized how when it moves around it leaves um, a film that can be dried and then turned into like stained glass and it's very highly coveted it's a really cool mechanic in it for the fight that I found is interesting most creatures the reason I wanted to bring it up was when you read a stat block, it just talks about what they can do. So they have an attack or a multi-attack or can do these things. In this one, it said something I hadn't seen in another monster stat, which was, when it makes its multi-attack, it starts off with five flailing heads, right? And it says specifically that all five flailing attacks target a single target. So that's a little trick that a lot of us DMs or GMs will use if a fight looks like it's going south for our players and we're like Ugh, the dice rolls are bad and it's not going good but if i maybe say oh well this character just hit really hard so i'm going to change my attack over here so i'm no longer just beating down one character from start to finish and you never want to you never want your players to feel like you're targeting them specifically like you're picking on them right so if i just ran over to the mage and i just started walloping the mage and i just until he was dead that person might get the impression that sometimes, oh, he was just after me. Why, why didn't he try to do this? Or why didn't he try to do that? And he's like, he just went after me. But that was the first time I saw in the creature block where it said all five attacks or all of the attacks go to a single target. So mm. I played it like that. I sent all five attacks, just like it said, to whatever single target it was. And it was very interesting. It wasn't a huge challenge. As much as it reads like it's going to be a pretty big challenge. Um, it really wasn't a, a major CR three challenge for my group. And we mostly had level threes and twos in the group. Uh, it was four people and they kind of walked through it with no problem. <laughs> so single creatures versus four characters just does not ever seem to work. I'm, I'm getting to the point where if I'm going to send just one creature at a party, I'm going to look at their average level and I'm going to go like CR plus plus three to that or something because if it's a single character they can take on a cr four or five and, and not have too much trouble with it um versus using the cr rules in the in the dungeon master's guide or in the player's handbook stuff so it was interesting have you ever done a flail snail in any of your uh, campaigns have you no. fought one have you i've got one a yet?
0: paper mini that i printed out of a flare flail snail to use but uh no i haven't used one in combat yet but i I know that their shells are like highly magic resistant or something. And so uh, I always wanted to be like, go on a flail snail hunt to make a shield that gives you like resistance to magic spells or something like that. Yeah. yeah, It talks
1: about it in the stat block that they can make up to three shields out of the shell. Yeah. Um, That it's like 5,000 gold pieces. If you want to sell it, Um, it can be used as a material component to the robe of scintillating colors or something like that, mm-hmm. which is another interesting magic item. Um, and yeah, it did have a cool mechanic where if they shot a spell at it um, and it made its roll, but it has another chart that you can roll on to say, does it absorb that magic and shoot it back? Does it do something else? Does it do a big thing? And unfortunately, all of my uh, <laughs> parties at the moment are melee heavy parties, mm-hmm. which is probably the other problem that's going on. And I keep creating, Encounters that are easy for a melee-focused group, um, and this was really a good counter to a magic-heavy group. But um, I need to start finding stuff that's better <laughs> for these melee-heavy groups because yeah. they're walking. I've got blade singers that have armor class 22, paladins with armor class 20. You know, it's just like this crazy high armor class stuff. And uh, but it's been pretty fun, so I've enjoyed it quite a bit. That's been our West Marches game. Um, We'll be playing again this week coming up. We'll have another expedition that goes out. Um, There's lots of story stuff that's coming out in that now. They're starting to get into a lot of my history, which is really cool. Um, And then the last thing we have is on Sunday is we're going to be playing uh, Mind Jammer, which is the game we're going to be playing for March. So it's a very sci-fi space opera game. Think Battlestar Galactica, think Star Trek, think uh, Star Wars, I guess, in some ways but it's really more about high technology Mm. uh, sci-fi stuff. So we're gonna dive into that. Last week, Sunday, we got together and I let the players choose the March game. I've chosen the January and February game. I let them choose the March game and then I'll be choosing another couple because my goal is to play 12 new RPGs that I've never played or ran as a DM in 2019. So Mm. we're, we're at three so far, which is good. Um, we're keeping to it, which has been fun. So that's what I've got going on, and we'll be doing that tomorrow also. But that was my time in Dungeons & Dragons. How about Jordans? Because we know there's a lot going on in Hot Springs Island. We know that you've been playing an Artificer. No, you've been playing a a Warforged and something else, but what did you actually get to this past week? Uh,
0: Well, my Warforged is level eight. Um, We... This was kind of fun. Uh, We went through... Like a a portal of some kind um, into this weird shadowy dark realm Um, and there was a a giant obsidian like monolith in front of us Uh, a monolith is the wrong word because it was a lot fatter than a regular like monolith but we walk up to it and we we decided well the party decided to chisel away because they saw rubies on the inside so they were trying to like pick out rubies Um, an obsidian dragon came bursting out of this obsidian. And the rubies that we saw were actually his uh, claws. Uh, And so he attacked us. And that was one of the... There's been a few times in this game that I am... um, I was on the fence whether we were going to live or die. And according to the dungeon master, he was like, no, I didn't really know if you guys would live or die either because we rolled really bad. And we were all grouped up right in front of it as it like spit molten lava at us. Um, and you not only take damage from the lava, but we take damage from the, uh, starting our turn in the lava. So there was a lot of like, immediately all of the players went down and Jordan was like pulling bodies out of the lava so that they don't get like death saving throws just by standing in the lava. So that was really fun. Um, I think I did a, a couple of like swipes of damage on it and, realized that i needed to do support more than i needed to do like melee tanking which is kind of what my character does um so i ended up pulling the druid out and force feeding her a potion of healing um which was the smart thing to do because she was able to do up and get up and cast uh blight i think which did like 8d8 damage against this puppy um which was really exciting and then i do you ever This happens to me a lot as a player, and it happens to me as a dungeon master, but I kind of wave it off as just like, well, the monsters are complicated and they change with every fight, where you just forget you have abilities. Like, does that happen to you as a player? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, and so I have this staff, uh, the Scepter of Snow or the Scepter of Ice and we're just like well and then finally one of my one of my uh party members was like well jordan you have that scepter he's been doing nothing but fire damage maybe you like huck a snowball at him and see if it does extra damage and i'm like oh yeah and he's like flying around and so i can totally like hit him with my ranged like ice scepter attack why am i not using that <laughs> so i ended up firing off a uh, like snowball swarm at him and it did uh double damage because he's weak to ice. And that's kind of how we figured out his weakness. And then we were able to, to go from there to kind of win the battle. But yeah. like we were hurt real bad. <laughs> like it was, that was not fun, but now I'm level eight and um, I've been, I'm an Eldritch Knight. So I take a lot of like uh, abjuration and evocation spells because that's what the Eldritch Knight can take. Uh, but at certain levels, and level 8 is one of them, you get a spell from any of the wizard's spell list. And so I took Enlarge Reduce. And I'm oh, really excited. Yeah, that. and it's funny because you read that spell online and people are like, it's not good. It's completely useless. It only adds a D4 of damage when you get Enlarged, so it's not worth it. But you, what I'm looking at is that you get advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. So my warforged will enlarge himself get really big i'll be able to grapple or push somebody down to the ground with advantage now because i'm so huge and this would have been really handy in the fight against the uh the dragon that we were fighting is i can only shove creatures that are one size larger than me so that dragon was huge but if i can cast enlarge on myself i can go from medium to large and then i could have like grappled him and shoved him to the ground and things like that so I don't know. I'm really, I'm really excited to play around with my new spell and level eight is going to be a lot of fun. So yeah.
1: Yeah. And that game I played on encounter role play, I was playing, um, a wizard that had the, I had two slots. So I had two spell slots and mm. I used enlarge twice. I used it once to make our tank much bigger to fight the big thing we were fighting. And then when it kind of went around, I switched it. I lost concentration but then I had one more slot, so then I did the reduce part of it, and I did that on the creature we were fighting to make it much smaller, so that he had a much better chance of grappling it and moving it and yeah. trying to shove it around. So it was really cool to see like the two interactions of that spell, and I love a spell that has two choices to it. So it really gives you a lot of a lot of room and flexibility to use it. I love that one. That's a good one.
0: Yeah. So uh, and I made a earth elemental. That's a large. I painted him. And he's a large mini. And so I think I'm going to use that earth elemental for when uh, seven, my warforged Eldritch Knight gets huge. I'll like swap the two. And then it's just like, I'm this hulking mass of rock or something. It's going to be yeah. awesome.
1: Or I like when you do something that you wouldn't normally think would be big. Like they were saying in chat, like if you make the gnome really small or even smaller than a gnome yeah. normally is,
0: because you it's make it like really
1: big. So if you make a halfling, the size of a giant,
0: all yeah. a sudden,
1: <laughs> that's, that's thematic. That's like something you remember. Yeah. Even if you don't do like the, like you said, the fors, that makes sense. But if you do something crazy or weird, that always stands out too. Yeah, so like-
0: no, even casting reduce on that dragon would have been good to like bring it down to our level. So it, it had, well, I guess it wouldn't have, I was thinking it would like have a smaller cone for its breath attack, but it probably wouldn't because that's part of like the, the monster, but a smaller monster, it's got a minus D4 to its attacks. Um, you know, you can, you can hit it easier. It'd be kind of fun. So Uh, Yeah, people in chat are like Ant-Man and D&D. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, I think it's going to be fun.
1: Or just Um, creative uses of spells. That's what I always like. I like finding ways that aren't the normal way you would think to use them. You find some other way to use them. I love that part of Dungeons & Dragons.
0: Um, And then Hot Springs Island was, boy, almost a hot mess. Uh, A hot mess island. Yeah, nice. They decided to infiltrate Sparku's lair because they want to get numbers of how many creatures they find there to see like what his army is kind of all about. They arrived on a very special night and it was the, they were gathering for a party, um, the new moon party. So every time during the new moon, once a month, Sparku throws a party at his lair. So there was a bunch of like caterers, salamanders that were getting food ready and things like that. And so they kind of walk in and they're just like, what's happening? They bribe a a security guard, basically, to get on the list, so to speak, um, so that they can, like, kind of walk around the party. Uh, One of them is a duergar dwarf, and so he used his innate ability to turn invisible. And the other one has disguised self and turned uh, herself into a salamander. So those two decided that they were going to split away from the regular party and explore by themselves somewhere else. So now we've split the party and I was just like, guys, I don't like, you don't want to split the party. There's so many things that can kill you in this, in this thing. Um, They got into, Oh, go ahead.
1: Now it makes sense in chat why I see the term split the party, split the party. Obviously one of your one of your players has been waiting for this part of the story. So yeah, oh it's definitely gosh. continue.
0: So they yeah, so they decided to split the party. Uh one of them got in a fight with some uh fire imps, and these are like stronger fire imps than the ones in the DM or in the monster manual. And so they have like 80 hit points and a really low ac but they've got 80 hit points and every time you attack them they do fire damage back to you um so they're they're kind of a fun monster uh how everything kind of worked out is they started fighting these fire imps um the salamanders were the fire imps kind of fight amongst themselves a lot so a lot of the the nearby salamanders were just kind of like oh they're just fighting again i'll like i don't want to bother them Um, so that's that was my excuse to not have like reinforcement upon reinforcement show up uh, because I'm like you will die like it'll just be bad Uh, meanwhile the salamander the disguised self-salamander chick she's kind of walking around getting the lay of the land the invisible guy decides to bypass everything and run all the way up to the top of the tower uh, because he wants to get Like, okay, what do I see on this level? Run up the stairs. What do I see on this level? Run up the stairs. What do I see on this level? And that was their plan, is to gather as much information as they can. Unfortunately, there are are obsidian tremor-sensing golems in the stairs. So as he's running up the stairs, these arms are coming out of the floor and trying to like grapple him and like grab him and do these attacks. And he's just like, as he's running up. He got to the very top, saw Svarku. And then ran as fast as he can back down to like help his friends. Uh, they were very lucky because I kept doing these swipe attacks from the golems, uh, from the obsidian golems that are in the stairs. And he, he did, it didn't hit him. Like he got away from it and he didn't lose concentration on his invisibility because he never got hit. So he was able to like run back down. They defeated the fire imps, they left. They decided to just leave as fast as they can. And then as they were leaving, they overheard uh, Svarku doing a speech. Um, And because they were so far away, they didn't get the full speech. But basically, he's energizing all of these salamanders. They creeped around to get a better look. And they discovered that there's probably hundreds, if not 200, like at least 100, if not 150, maybe 200 salamanders that they overheard slash saw listening to Svarku's speech. So now they know that there's roughly 100, 150 salamanders. How do we garner enough of the Night Axe forces to go against that? And do the Night Axe have enough forces to go against that? So that's Mm -hmm. their next step. And I'm really curious whether they're going to say, we want to have an all-out war against Svarku, or if they want to try and sneak in again and maybe like cut the head off the snake, so to speak. Like if we take out Sfarku, will the salamanders like leave the island? Like what's going on? So it's, I don't know. There's, there's multiple paths that they can take and we're going to decide, they're going to decide what path they want to take, <laughs> but I need to brush up on my, my mass combat warfare, which is something I'm going to do today because uh yeah, I need to, I need to know like if they do get, you know, a hundred, Night axe ogres versus 150 salamanders, how do I actually implement that kind of a fight? But Oh,
1: but that sounds so fun.
0: It does. And I'm really I, I we were we were on the edge of our seat because even Jordan, like even myself, I'm like, I don't know what's gonna happen. But I feel like I have to play this out. I can't be nice. And so I really wasn't. I was just like, well, you decide to walk up the stairs. Unfortunately, He's got, you know, these golems that live in the stairs that are coming out after you. And you could just tell everyone, like, like uh, our our sorceress was just like, this is not a good idea, guys. Like, what yeah. did we do? What did we do? <laughs> um, the dice
1: saved him because the plan didn't, but yeah. the dice saved them. <laughs> they're
0: level seven. I think one of them might be level eight. No, I think they're all level seven at the moment. Um, and they that's another thing is I'm using experience points based on enemies they kill. So even though they did a lot that that game and they did a lot of reconnaissance and they got a lot of information, they did a lot of role play. At the end of the day, they only got like a thousand experience each because they only had that one fight. And I was like, yeah. oh, I feel really bad about this, guys. But like, this is kind of the way we decided to do experience points. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But lots of fun. I love Hot Springs Island. Um, we're already kind of like, I think they're like, we're, we're about to wrap it up. Um, so to speak like we're not we're not at the end yet but everyone's talking about like well what is our next game going to be and they're thinking of characters for their next game because everyone's just excited to make characters so uh, I, I'm excited I like that I have these really excitable players because yeah. uh, although my other group really likes D&D um, it's not a priority as it is for me mm-hmm. like I kind of make D&D a priority because I love it so much and I really love these players because they also make D&D a priority Um, Where my other group is kind of like, "Uh, yeah, I think we can meet. And then they have fun when they play. But I'm just like, guys, D&D is life. (laughs) You don't understand.
1: And it's that good story of these were players you met at an adventure league. Yeah. Yeah. At some point. So you went to Adventure League, you were hanging out at the game store, doing some cool stuff, met some other players that were super interested. Then all of a sudden, you've got a really good campaign and good table. That's what's cool about it. You know, going out and expanding your list a little bit, you know, going out and finding like a convention games, mm-hmm. or if you go to your game store and do some games, even if you're going, don't, I, I always think of it exactly the way you were thinking. Of it was networking with other just yeah. fans, hobby. And that way you can really find some other players that are as into it as you are and they can play as much as you want
0: yeah and some people in chat were saying you know hand out experience points for role play and strategy too um and i do but i wanted with this game specifically i really wanted to try it traditionally like Mm -hmm. like how you get experience by killing monsters so their ideas or or bypassing monsters if they talk their way out of a salamander fight i will give them experience for that salamander fight um and so they did get some role play experience here but it It was just kind of like a like I felt like I had let my party down almost where I'm like, Mm -hmm. you guys are used to getting like three or four K a night and you got one K like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it, it would be like if you had a shop. something that happened was a shopping episode that happened for half of it. And then you did some information gathering, but you haven't actually acted on the information yet. There's not a lot of good spots there. I mean, you could just arbitrarily award mm. um, XP. But like you said, like I'm doing it in, West Mar- in my West Marches game, when I created the campaign, it specifically says in the handout, XP is doled out by creature XP, the same yeah. way that it's in the book. And at some point, I want to do a campaign where it's doled out by how much gold you gather. Yeah, which was the old style of doing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. So if you want to you want to get to your next level, you better go find some gold somewhere.
0: (laughs) Gold as XP is a really interesting mechanic that I think more games should utilize because it really it really puts it down to you don't earn experience points like all the gold you find that is the experience points you get. Yeah, yeah. And, Your success yeah.
1: is judged by how well you get mm-hmm. gold.
0: <laughs> no, it's great. So that was that was kind of my week in d and I just played those cool. two games. I do have a Dungeon Crawl Classics game that I'm playing online with some people. Um, but that fell through this week because of people's schedules and things like that. So I'm excited to play Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, next week. It'll be a lot of fun. Are you
1: going to talk about the American Survival Guide or are you done? Uh,
0: I want to talk about it but it's also 10.58, <laughs> right. so I might be done. Yeah. I bought a book, short short story. I bought a book called The Umeric uh, Survival Guide, and it's a Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, supplement to play in a post-apocalyptic North America. Um, and it's been a lot of fun, and I am going to hopefully use some of the car rules to create a Mutant Crawl Classics Mad Max car race zero-level funnel. That is my goal. Um, and so yeah. that's kind of my next pet project that I want to play is I want to create, I want to write this, not necessarily to publish, but to uh, just my own creative satisfaction. So I hope you call it
1: Fury Road because that's just the.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny because when we were talking about the Mind Jammer game that we're going to play, the other game that almost got chosen for the month of March was mcc we almost chose mutant crawl classics because you will at some point i'm
0: sure but
1: i think it's going to be on the show at some
0: point yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's really cool well that's our show ladies and gentlemen Uh, i want to say thank you to everybody in chat that came out to talk with us um always wonderful to see you guys and thanks for interacting not only with us but with other people in the chat like and keeping chat just nice like we don't have moderators and you guys are just really good at being uh good people so thank you for being an awesome person thank you <laughs> thank you good people <laughs> um we'll be back next week with another episode of the saturday morning D show uh more news more talking about our games more hot springs island uh more seeking webinars so stay tuned for that and with that i will see you next week uh i should probably get the overlay up so i can transition (laughs) stall stall
1: stall get those comments keep uh keep an eye out for when it goes up on youtube and uh definitely thanks for everybody showing up this has been
0: awesome awesome we'll see you guys next week bye everybody Bye. our intro and outro music is 8-bit march by twin musicom licensed under creative commons check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org